Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, joined today by our special guest, Albie, the designer of These Stars Will Guide You. Welcome. Thank you very much, Logar. Thanks for having me. No doubt, no doubt. Now, you've got something that's that's going to be on, well, hopefully when this drop is currently on Kickstarter, through the month, uh, through the Zine Quest month is going on, correct? Absolutely. Hopefully by the time you hear this, it's launch should launch on the 7th of February and last about two weeks. It's on Kickstarter and these stars will guide you home will be my third entry into the Zine Quest slash Zine Month event after Superstition two years ago and the Royal Cartographer last year. So this is number three, the difficult album. To catch us up real quick, could you tell me about those first two entries for uh, for Zine Quest? I'm curious to know a little bit about those two. Absolutely. So Superstition was my very first foray into Zine Quest. It was a game about being an oracle that makes rituals for their community despite not believing in magic or gods. And there was this duality of, uh, you know, what can I say that will convince them despite me not believing in all of this? And the Royal Cartographer was a game about how maps are imprecise and they're fundamentally political. And there are things that in role-playing games are often uh, perfect. Like if that's what that's called on that map, that's correct information, 100%. And I kind of wanted to play with that. And it's not always the case. You know, maps don't always show 100% of reality or perhaps they show lightly warped. That was the Royal Cartographer. Both, I thought, came out pretty well. And and now These Stars Will Guide You Home is is, is my third entry. I'm curious to know a little bit more because I I, just, I like I, I'm, I'm, my interest is peaked <laughs> from what you said there about how maps aren't always correct and they're impacted by political and other elements. And you expanded a little bit on that, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about that because because I find that very interesting, and I'm curious how that that turns out in gameplay and whatnot. Right. So the inspiration came from early European explorers of the American continent, because I was reading about cartography, and basically what they did was they drew maps to convince the King of Spain and the King of Portugal to fund the following expedition. So they would often dress things up in ways that weren't actually real in order to convince people back in Europe to fund the next expedition and that's where it all started from and and even now you know in in the modern world you can look at a map and say oh that's not quite the reality of things is it? even where i'm from we have a language that we speak uh, here in my region but if you look at a map all the names are in italian despite oh. those not being the original names of the places that, are, that exist and there's so many of those things in cartography and it's such a, a wonderful world to explore and i think it's underexplored in the rpg space i think we can do a lot more interesting things with maps like imagine for example a group of players in a campaign decide to go to an to a city named x and then when they arrive they find out that actually everybody there calls it something different. Why is it called X? Oh, it's because we're under the empire and they've given us a name, but we don't like that. That's not what this city is about. That's a campaign hook. Oh yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and that is entirely from the map telling you something different to what it actually is. And that's what I was trying to explore with the Royal Cartographer. No, I appreciate that. That's interesting. I want to I, I want to start introducing elements of that into my current campaign because we, we rolled up our world as a, as a collaborative thing with the party and they they all gave input and we did like collaborative world building so we got a map that we made out of little hex cards 
just like hex shaped yeah. note cards that everybody drew up. So it's very rough. But and, I, and what you're saying is like, oh wow, I can really kind of deviate from that as a DM. And now you got me thinking. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's um the sealed library has done a game. I think it's We Sail Beyond, which is exactly that. It's a collaborative map making game. But in in order to make a campaign map, the person who's going to be the games master for that campaign has slightly different and more precise information than everybody else. The idea is that when they get there, they might not find what they expected. Or maybe the GM knows what's actually going on. And it's just the Sealed Libraries game does it so well. It's something that's really worth exploring. And I, I really hope more designers look at maps and how we, to use them in games. Now, we're going to stop looking at maps for a minute and start looking yeah. at the stars. How does that sound? <laughs> for my <me>. transition. <laughs> the stars were, you know, used as maps because before we had proper cartography and satellite imagery, that's what was used for navigation. And these stars will guide you home kind of starts off from that concept. So one thing I didn't know is uh, there's more than just the North Star that you can use to navigate. There's 57 other stars called navigational stars, which you can use to fix your position and figure out where you're going. And these stars will guide you home kind of uses a star system for you to explore an archipelago looking for your new home. It's set in ancient Greece. Celestial navigation is kind of the core mechanic of it, but it's not the theme of the game. Mm -hmm. It's just how you find your way around all these uh, magical and mystical islands. So that's sort of the mechanic from from which the game started. But the theme of the game, it's very Odyssey inspired. So the idea is that you are the captain of 13 ancient Greek ships and you're looking for a new home for your people. You're using the stars to navigate your way through this archipelago and it's a solo journaling game. So you draw cards that will will tell you what happens throughout your journey. And basically, you've got to choose which one of these islands is going to be your new home. But none of them are perfect. It's written in a way that none of them are the best choice. Like, there's no, there's nowhere you're going to land and say, aha, this is definitely it. I've reached paradise. I've found the, I've found the promised land. <laughs> so that doesn't happen. And at the same time, as you're drawing cards to see what happens to your crew and to your ships and on the islands, there is a counter system that basically shows how weary your crew is of looking for the next best thing. So at some point in the game, the game basically says your crew's fed up. You can no longer look for another island. This is home now. Oh. <laughs> the second phase of the game is you're the descendant of one of these sailors a hundred years later, and you're writing the story of that journey in the oh. search of the new home. But there's a few mechanics in between whereby the memories are twisted and some of them are just completely lost. And that's just a way of saying, you know, this happened 100 years ago. How are you going to tell the story considering that half of the things that happened have been forgotten and the other half have been told so many times that they've been twisted and warped? And it was exploring that, uh, that idea that you'll, you'll be left with a captain's log of the journey. Yes. And sort of the epic poem, like the Odyssey or the Iliad at the end of it. And hopefully you'll look at these two artifacts and say, oh, I see how history and time has changed these things. Because that's not what happened. That's what, the, that's what the poem says. But I was there. I was the captain. That's not what happened. And hopefully that mechanic, you know, will get people thinking uh, about what they're writing and, and hopefully playing again. I'm hoping for this to be a replayable solo journaling experience. So I'm noticing something here between between the two games is that there is this uh, 
this uh, similarity in, in your approach to them that I really like and appreciate, especially when you're approaching something like history and the way history is told and relayed versus the reality of what was. Also, the maps, the inaccuracy of the maps, that human error and the way that we understand reality to be. I, are you a big reader? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nailed that on the head, for sure. I'm concerned. I, I don't know. It's, it's an interest of mine to see how memory changes things. So I'm going to use an anecdote, which is really, really, really cool. I, I don't even know if it's true, but let's pretend it is. It might be apocryphal, right? But there's the story of a crew of, I think it was an, an Australian warship in World War II that was mm -hmm. sunk by a submarine in the Pacific. The ship went down, but a lot of the crew managed to be saved and they were brought over, I think it was, to Australia. And they asked them, where did the ship sink? And all of them had different recollections. None of them could remember exactly where it was, but all of them were convinced that's what happened. But these things didn't match up, right? So what the navigator might have said, oh, we were 50 miles due east of this position. And the captain would have said, no, we were 20 miles due north of that position. And basically what they did to find the wreck of the ship was they sort of reconstructed all these memories and tried to figure out sort of the average. And that's where the ship was. But all of them remembered things very differently, despite all of them thinking that their version was correct. And that's because they were you know, undergoing a traumatic event. So they didn't have exact recall of what happened. And I found that so fascinating. Like they all lived the same event, but within a short space of time, they all had different memories of it. And they were all convinced that they knew exactly and remembered perfectly what had happened. And that's the case with most of history. So I try yeah. to explore that with, with games. I really, really like what you said. The things that happen and the way they are recalled is entirely different. And I really like exploring that with games. Well, I'm I, I'm a, myself. I'm a I'm a social theorist. I'm into social theory. I've got a degree in stuff. <laughs> so this is the kind of stuff that interests me a lot. So I asked that because I'm just curious, like this seems to be an area you're read up, read up on and studied on. Would there be any thinkers or writers, books, anything like theory wise or anything you would suggest people check out to learn more? Theory wise, it's been far too long since, uh, <laughs> since I've done any real studying, I'm afraid. Uh, but being a social theorist, maybe you could suggest a few books, although on the fiction side, there is a fantastic book, fantastic book called A Canticle for Leibovitz. It was written in the 50s. And basically, it's the story of a particular object, a particular artifact in a post-apocalyptic world. And it's three stories in one book. The, it's sort of year zero, year 100, year 200. So it's the same artifact just being handled by different people. And the author does an amazing job of showing you how what the first person was using the artifact for mm -hmm. is entirely different to what the second person thought the artifact was about and entirely different to what happens to the third person and what they do with the artifact. Oh, interesting. It's a canticle for Leibovitz. I cannot recommend it enough. Probably my top 10 books. Definitely sort of the seed for all of these ideas that I have about games. So let me ask one more time. Could you repeat the title and you know, the author as well? Uh, the one? author, I will look it up now. The the title is A Canticle for Leibovitz, and the author is Walter M. Miller, Jr. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. That's, that, that's interesting. I'm going to have to check that out. Now, you're into role-playing games and zines and whatnot, I'm assuming, because you're making them, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I kind of... 
I started in the uh, solo journaling side with The Wretched by Chris Bissett. Uh, yes. I, think was, I think that was a gateway game for a lot of people. And before that, when I was in high school, I played Dungeons & Dragons. And I've tried playing other systems in the meantime, but with two kids and oh, everything that's happened in the last couple of years, it's been diff- that's why I've kind of I've veered towards solo journaling mm-hmm. zines because I can find the time, well, hardly even then, when it's just myself that needs to, uh, you know, just sit down and play. <laughs> and no, I, I, I get, I get zines, love them, get them. But I, we were talking before you, you've been having a hard time getting hands on physical zines. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm in Italy. I think I mentioned that, and it's it's becoming difficult for people in the European Union to get hold of physical zines without having to pay import duties i've been keeping track up to 70 80 percent of the value of the actual um the actual zine or the actual book Hmm. i received a zine the other day which i think i paid 10 euro on kickstarter yes and i had to pay an extra seven on top to the postman just to have it delivered i've seen that's a problem with a lot of people in the european union because obviously we we like to buy our digital zines but some zines are just worthwhile to get physically the production values and just holding that you know that book of ideas is fantastic i think we're all waiting for somebody to put their hand up and say i will be the main importer of zines and there are some companies there's all the the problems in this world in germany which is a shop that imports some zines and Games Omnivorous from Portugal make their own zines. Uh, so there is some stuff out there. It's it's beginning to grow, but we we cannot wait for somebody to say, all the zines, I've got them, come and get them from us. Please, somebody do that. We would be forever grateful. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of stuff here in the U.S., like we have quite a few different sources and quite a few different places here in the U.S. and Canada, so it's a little easier for us to get a hold of some of that stuff from time to time. I know that there has been a few issues trying to get some from Europe, and I, I've ordered some stuff from over there, and it it's steep getting them here from Europe when you do that. It's like, wow. That's why I try when I'm ordering for someone from over there, I try to be like, okay, I'm going to order a big order and get it all at once. Either you go for the big order or you go ditch. I bought a printer just to just to print zines, but obviously it's not the same thing. Uh, I'm thinking, for example, I recently bought the Book of Gob. Book of Gob. Yes. I mean, I haven't got it yet. That looks amazing. That looks it, really nice to hold. It's, cloth it's beautiful. The- Exactly. It's a beautiful spell book type thing and it's 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 nice. It's a good book. <laughs> I can't wait to hold it, but you know, those those orders are few and far between. I'm waiting for Spencer Campbell's rune to become available in Europe. Yes. Uh, because I can't wait to pick that up. But uh, you know, I can buy it digitally, but that looks too good to have it on a PDF. I want it in my hands, but until I can get it without having to possibly pay double for it, I'm gonna have to hold back on that. Yeah, my thing often is with just reading is I have a hard time reading digital. I need a physical copy to really sit down and read something. It is what it is. No, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Like, I'll try and read things on my phone or on my Kindle, but it's just not the same. It's yeah. it's not the same as, as having it. How do you feel about writing notes in the margins? Um, you know, uh, I don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm always afraid to do it. I've done it to some books, but not very many, and I'm always scared to take that first step. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but once you do it, I can, it's kind of liberating, and I think it does add value 
into the book you know yeah. because you get to write in your thoughts and and your ideas and the, and it's just fantastic again it's not something you can do easily digitally i use a lot of post-it notes in my books i'm a big mm-hmm. post-it noter i'm probably more so than writing in there but like some of the ones like my rap and athlete book when i ran that for a long time it was a mega dungeon i i definitely wrote in that thing so it just depends yeah well we're bad on time could you tell the listeners where they can find you online and where they can pick up some of your stuff and where they can back you absolutely so uh these stars will guide you home is launching on kickstarter on the 7th of february but if you you want to check out the uh, free to download beta version, you can find it on my itch page, which is albi13.itch.io. And if, if you want to have a chat, then you can find me on Twitter with the handle listener13, listener13. Uh, both Superstition, the Royal Cartographer, and a couple of other games are on the itch page if you want to see what I've done before. And, you know, if I'm always open to talk design and history. Uh, so if you want to get in touch for any of that, then please do so. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for coming on. It's been a great chat. Thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook, search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter and TikTok now at Logar Hale Crom. And as always, keep those dice rolling.